3: Without budget support, Ukraine can't win the war. It needs both the military assistance and the budget support. The Chinese are playing hardball here. The United States has been pushing back.
2: Bloomberg, sound on. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names.
4: We need to pay the bills that we've already accrued. This is not a conversation about future spending. We're $31 trillion in debt. This debt ceiling's a check on the debt, and our
2: fiscal path is unsustainable. Bloomberg, sound on with joe matthew on bloomberg radio
5: TikTok is now in bipartisan
2: crosshairs i'm proud to stand here with some of our co-sponsors um, on the restrict act which will give the president and more specifically the secretary of commerce new authorities
4: to mitigate the threats posed by technology products from adversarial nations senator mark
5: warner democrat from virginia they're announcing the legislation the restrict act as you heard him call it, endorsed by Democrats and Republicans who shared the stage with him, including Whip John Thune
2: and Republican Mitt Romney. We're talking about a major piece of competitive and foreign policy legislation. When we come together, it says that Congress has recognized that China is not our dear friend. The Chinese Communist Party, that is, is not our dear friend.
5: But to be clear here, this is not specifically a ban on TikTok, not a proposal to do so. Listen again to Senator Warner.
4: The strict act would give the Secretary of Commerce the authority and the responsibility to identify and counter threats from foreign technology products and services in the U.S. A series of mitigation tools given to the Secretary up to and including the opportunity to ban.
5: Okay. And we, in fact, spoke with Secretary Gina Raimondo about that, the Commerce Secretary, just last week here at Bloomberg.
6: So if what we're worried about is Chinese-backed companies being on, you know, tens of millions of American phones, including members of the military, and privacy concerns, data concerns, misinformation concerns, that doesn't just apply to TikTok.
5: Okay, but this is where opinions begin to diverge here in Washington. Do you go for the broad scope like this, give them the tools to go after whoever they want? Or does Marco Rubio actually have the right idea with a ban specifically in legislative language, a ban on this thing called TikTok, which clearly not everyone is familiar with. Uh, Senator Joe Manchin was at the event as well.
2: I can't say that I know a whole lot about TikTok. Can I ask a question here? Because I called my granddaughters who are recent graduates, college graduates. Uh, but if I could ask, it was just show of hands, maybe. How many of y'all use TikTok? Come on. come, on. <laughs> yeah. come on. Nobody, really? Okay, let's just say this. We asked for your advice. So I called my granddaughters and I said, tell me about this TikTok. Oh, they said we use it all the time. They said, oh, yeah, all of our friends, all of our young friends. Now, these are 22 to 25 year olds. And they said, oh, yeah, that's what I said. And I said, well, we have a concern. They said, oh, please, you know, be careful what you do here because it's something how we communicate and we all enjoy it.
5: <laughs> Don't you dare ban the TikTok on us. He went on to say, hey, maybe they'd be looking for a different American style TikTok. You guys ever heard of Instagram? All right, let's get to our conversation here. I've been looking forward to it because we need to make sense of this. And Emily Kilcrease is here to help us, senior fellow and director of the Energy Economics and Security Program here at the Center for a New American Security. Emily, thanks for joining. We've been talking about ways to ban TikTok or do something here in Washington. They've already hit it on government devices, as we know. But what is the right approach here? Do you go broad and allow this to apply to any number of foreign companies? Or does Marco Rubio have the right idea in specifically and explicitly banning TikTok?
6: Yeah, so clearly uh, this effort from Senator Warner and his co-sponsors is intended to address TikTok, right? So there's a shared concern uh, among members of Congress to get at that particular issue. Um, But folks who are following this issue will know this is certainly not the only sort of foreign technology that's raised concerns in the United States. We've had long conversations about the risks presented by Huawei. Um and 5G infrastructure. There's been concerns raised about Kaspersky, the Russian antivirus software used in the United States. Hmm. And so the fact that we have this wide range of concerns actually yeah. to me argues for a broader approach that allows the government flexible, nimble authorities to go after a range of concerns yeah. and not just limit it to TikTok.
5: It'll be limited though, if you will, to the commerce department, right? So this becomes an administration issue and different administrations could have different ideas about what's appropriate, right?
6: Well, that's surely true. Um, It is uh, limited to the Secretary of Commerce, and there is a high bar set for prohibiting transactions. That's an action that needs to be taken by the president. That's intentionally a high bar. Um, I do think Congress is interested in uh, conducting quite a bit of oversight on this set of authorities, uh, so I'd expect them to continue to weigh in heavily on this
5: sort of issue. Does this pass? Is this the bill that actually gets the votes?
6: You know, I think it might. Uh, It was quite interesting to see that immediately after uh, the bill came out yesterday, uh, you saw the statement from National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan clearly putting the White House weight behind it. It's got Mm -hmm. bipartisan uh, support. So I think this is one that could have legs.
5: Okay, so let's say that takes place now. You're laying the groundwork for potentially a lot of action uh, by the Commerce Secretary. TikTok is the talker because it's so popular. All of our kids are on it. Joe Manchin's calling his grandkids to find out what the heck it is. But Uh, There are a lot of other companies, to your point, that aren't household names. Are, Are they just as much a part of this in terms of the intentions of this bill? I know it allows for action on any number of companies, but are we about to see a broad move against Chinese and Russian tech companies?
6: So it's going to be really important for the Commerce Department, if this passes, to issue guidance and regulations properly scoping and providing some transparency around how they intend to use this authority. Keep in mind, the Trump administration tried to do something similar through an executive order process. And there were a ton of concerns because that authority was broad, it was ill-defined. I think the Biden team and the congressional sponsors of this legislation are trying to learn from that experience. And so I would look at this particular bill as the starting point. There's going to need to be more regulation and guidance to give some sort of clarity and predictability to the private sector about what's in and what's
5: out. ByteDance, the company that owns TikTok, has been in damage control mode, uh, Emily, outlining plans uh, today to spend a billion and a half dollars on three data centers in Europe that would store data of TikTok's European users, 150 million strong. Uh, and there's already this Project Texas in the U.S. in which uh, TikTok is, is assuring concerned governments or trying to, uh, that the Chinese government cannot access Europeans' data or U.S. data through the front door. Are any of these going to work in terms of convincing people about what they're doing with our info?
6: Look, TikTok is clearly in spin mode. It is facing an existential threat uh, because of some of these regulatory actions that may be coming down the pike, both in Mm -hmm. the United States and Europe. You look at India, which has already banned TikTok. They do have a big credibility gap that they need to overcome. There was the reporting uh, recently around um, some of the the potential access to reporters data on their platform. There was earlier reporting about the continued access um, of engineers in China to U.S. persons data. There have been a lot of missteps on the part of TikTok that I think are going to present a real issue as they're working with policymakers because policymakers don't feel like they can really trust them at this point.
5: This is, by the way, an opportunity for other tech companies, right? I mean, Facebook rising, Instagram rising, Twitter, I presume, rising in the wake of what could be a huge vacuum in the social media world.
6: Clearly, if TikTok is uh, put out of business in the United States, that does create an you know an opportunity, whether it's uh, you know existing platform or perhaps a new platform, right? Lots of concerns around Twitter and Meta as well. Right. Um, so clearly, the desire for this sort of social media platform is is there, uh, and who fills it in the future, I think, is a bit of an open question.
5: Well, I have a fifteen-year-old at home on all of these platforms, but TikTok outranks them all in terms of popularity. It's clear that that's the case, and, and young people. Maybe not Joe Manchin, but his grandkids could VPN themselves around all kinds of firewalls and different geographical locations to still be on TikTok if it's only banned here in the U.S., much like uh, some of the crypto stuff that we've seen. Doesn't it just go offshore?
6: It absolutely could. Um, it depends on how many jurisdictions it's banned in. Uh, if it's banned in yeah, enough, right. then maybe that becomes uh, less less viable. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, it's an inconvenience. It introduces friction into the, the system. I do think if there is a move to, to ban it, um, I think the government will be working with, for example, app stores and uh, infrastructure providers to try to make sure that those sorts of workarounds are really addressed um, so that they can really get at what they see as a genuine national security concern.
5: Emily, thanks for talking us through this. Emily Kilcrease. We'll see what happens with it. Maybe we'll be back in touch at some point pretty soon if this thing passes. Uh, With the Center for a New American Security on the TikTok bill, but don't call it that. It's the Restrict Act. It does more than just ban TikTok. In fact, TikTok is not mentioned. We assemble our panel now for their take on this. Jeannie Shanzano, who is on TikTok, and by the way, a bit of a star. I mean, this could really pop the balloon here for Jeannie, Bloomberg Politics contributor and Democratic analyst, it's nice to have you here with us, Jeannie. And Kristen Davison is here, too. Senior Vice President Axiom, Strategies' current senior political advisor to Governor Glenn Youngkin. Jeannie, talk to me about this uh, because your TikTok account might be going away.
7: Yeah, first of all, I love the fact you kick off Sound On today. First segment, all female. Way to go, Joe Manchin. Hey, Matthew. all right, I love it. You. International Women's Day. Yes. Um, and yes, as soon as I get on TikTok and figure it out, I'm going to drag <laughs> Joe Manchin with me. They're going to ban it. I can just see it happening. It's deadly. Um, You know, I I think there this is looking a lot more like it could pass and it, it has so much bipartisan support. But I think there are such enormous questions about this. So, you know, you look at this 100 million users for 90 minutes a day. That makes it much more widely popular than the president or Congress as we march into a 24 election. Are they really going to take this step, or right. is this an effort to pressure the company to pressure Bite Dance? Because of course we know that the federal government has negotiated with them and been in negotiations to get assurances that they can keep operating in the U.S. So I think it's a big question over whether this is more posturing or they're really going to go for some kind of ban. Yeah, um, right. You know, as we march into this electoral uh, season, I think that would be risky for uh, you know both Republicans and Democrats. They may. Do it, but it's it's stunning if they do it to me. What's
5: what's the risk, though? <laughs> is it because you're going to be upset, or the kids are going to be upset? Is it is is this not good politics, Kristen?
3: Well, look, I think the the bigger risk here, and one that has you know we're going to say the quiet part out loud here, is the existential hmm. threat that China is posing to the United States. And yeah. so this is bigger than TikTok. TikTok is kind of the trendy way, and and um, you know of, of being able to. Uh, put a, an actual, um, something that people understand and, and sure. affects their everyday life. But, but we have, you know, there are balloons flying over the country. We have TikTok. We have Chinese companies trying to, you know, use American companies as Trojan horses to get a footprint in different states. We have the Chinese government trying to buy farmland in certain states. And so that there is a general consensus from the politics side of it. That especially President Biden either doesn't understand the threat that China is posing or he's just taking a very slow um, approach uh, to tackling it. And so TikTok, the fact that we have a bipartisan group of of senators, that is not a word that you hear too often anymore up there that are coming together and recognizing TikTok as the threat. Um, You know, you've seen a lot of governors um, not just Republicans, but also Democratic governors that are banning TikTok on government devices. It the sounds like you real.
5: favor a broader approach, though, is that right? Kristen, as opposed to simply banning TikTok, create the tool, Absolutely. create the the opportunity to go after whoever you want.
3: Well, I, I think that you know to to you know there needs to be obviously a check and balance and a confirmation that the threat is real. I think that right now we are not in danger of confirming that the threat of China is real. We are in danger of not taking the threat seriously enough. And so this is bigger than TikTok. China has one goal, and that's world domination at the expense of the United States. And TikTok is one tool that they have, and clearly not just Republicans, but some Democrats are now recognizing as a way for China to not not only – uh, threaten our security, mm-hmm. but get into our homes and to get into our our children's hands, um, and and it should be a concern that we don't just take lightly. And so I think it, it is promising to see that senators uh, and and folks yeah. in DC are putting politics aside and coming together to to address it. Um, I don't know if this this bill sounds like the most promising effort to do that.
5: Jeannie, um, are you we'll surprised that the this. White House got involved here? This is something that's been evolving. Uh, over the course of months, and to see Jake Sullivan kind of fall in behind it the way he did, speaking for the president, it's a big deal.
7: It is a big deal. But again, they have been in negotiations. And I think, you know, to focus just on TikTok, I'm glad the bill doesn't just focus on TikTok because that really misses the point. Where are we, for instance, on legislation regarding privacy laws in this country? The Chinese government could easily, even if this ban goes into effect, mm. buy American user data. So, you know, <laughs> this is, this is you know, maybe a small step in that direction. But you mentioned the VPNs to work around it. I'm not right. going to do that, Joe Matthew, by the way. I will not. <laughs> Your but students will, though. They will, and so will my children. But <laughs> <laughs> right.
5: We have the same issue in our house, I think. All right. Honey, cancel the VPN. Jeannie Shanzano, stay with us. Kristen Davison, as we move ahead on Bloomberg Sound On and a conversation ahead with former Congressman Tim Ryan. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. We've been bringing you dispatches from Sierra Week, of course, the energy conference that's underway in Texas. Yeah, they're back. And a lot of talk about not only investing in fossil fuels to get us through the transition to green energy, but actually harnessing that transition, giving it a timeline and policy to make it work. We heard yesterday... Uh, From John Kerry, of course, the former Secretary of State, who's now the so-called climate czar at the White House. And with us today from Sierra Week is Tim Ryan. Yeah, the former congressman from Ohio we talked so much about during election season is now co-chair of Natural Allies for a Clean Energy Future. And, Congressman, I want to welcome you uh, back to Bloomberg. It's great to have you here. Uh, You've been talking a lot about clean energy, not only with uh, the natural allies, but also with Third Way. This seems to be your new mission. Is that fair to say?
4: yeah it's a you know I think it's an important part of you know fixing the issues yeah. that we have with climate, but also making sure we're creating good jobs here. It has national security implications. It's an opportunity to you know put Vladimir Putin in his place and help our friends it, it, you know decarbonize around the world by shipping mm-hmm. our natural gas so it, it's, it hits, checks a lot of boxes for things that I'm passionate about.
5: So let's talk about it for a moment because I remember that that moment in the State of the Union when President Biden kind of revealed what was inside his brain, ad-libbing, that we might need fossil fuels for another 10 years. And it, it, it actually drew a laugh from people who were there, because 10 years is not very long, certainly not as as an investment horizon. And so I wonder what your thought is on timeline and whether natural gas, because I think that's what you're speaking to here, can actually bridge that gap.
4: Yeah, I think that natural gas is going to be around for a long time. and th- And that's basically the argument that uh, Senator Mary Landrieu and I are trying to make two Democrats. Like if you're interested in in you know climate, if you're interested in reducing emissions, we've got a plan for you, and that means using natural gas to displace coal, which mm-hmm. is being used in significant ways all around the world. Germany is using more coal today than they they ever have. So, uh, France is using more coal because of what happened with the war with vladimir putin china's building a natural or a coal-fired power plant like one a week i mean that the world is is going back to coal and we what we want to say is you know like my old congressional district in eastern ohio marcella shale utica shale we have natural gas here it's way cleaner than coal so what are we fussing around with We, we can make significant reductions create jobs and then continue to invest and pair it with renewables but wind and solar can't handle the baseload power right now. So you need, you need natural gas that can achieve both objectives.
5: What do you hear from the administration on this?
4: Well, I think, I think they're coming around because I think they've seen the value in Europe with Putin. And they're watching everyone move back to coal. And so if you have these goals, which we should have, you've got to be pragmatic on how you get there. Mm. And, and when you see that you know, the United States led the world from 20 uh, 2005 to 2019 we had the most uh reduction in carbon why because natural gas displaced coal so let's do that around the world and the problem is we've got certain elements in the political system that want to keep it in the ground they want to fight it and what happens is like when you see what's happening in new england they've prevented natural gas from getting to new england then they have a cold spell a tough winter what do they start doing Burning fuel oil, so the very people that want to reduce emissions are the ones that are forcing people, in order to survive and stay warm, yeah. to use burn burn oil, which is one terrible. of
5: the one of the last bastions of heating oil. As a uh, as a New England boy, I'm well aware. I I, I know what <laughs> your former colleagues on the other side of the aisle are going to tell you, though, right? They're going to say, "Hey, look at India, look at China; these guys aren't even trying." And to your point, you made it yourself, Tim Ryan. So why should the U.S. Uh, be so concerned about saving the world when no one else is trying?
4: Well, I think we make it in their interest. I think if we can provide them cheap and stable energy that's clean, they'll move to use it. And, and you know, we, you know, I mean, if you live in a coastal city in the United States, you know, you have an uh, obligation to, you know, you know you're going to, you're going to face the consequences of this. Mm. So we have an obligation to try to do it around the world. I think, you know, when a lot of the, you know the anti climate folks say well yeah this is great but what are they doing in, in yeah. china or what are yeah. they doing in it they're right they're right and what we're trying to do is solve that problem and if we can if we can help our companies and workers here with the pipelines get clean up the permitting process do permitting reform get this stuff out in liquid natural gas to Europe and Asia companies here make money good union workers have good middle class uh, livings and we help bend the curve on climate while we're doing the research and the, the hydrogen breakthrough or whatever is next. Mm-hmm. We got to keep doing that as well. But this is the pragmatic step that we have to take.
5: Tim Ryan, it's great to have you with us today on Bloomberg. Before you go, can I ask are, are you are you enjoying not being in the middle of the circus here in Washington? <laughs>
4: I I feel very liberated and I you know I'm I'm coaching my my eight, my 8-year-old basketball team and like screaming at the referee so I like you know my life has changed dramatically in the last
5: few months Oh I bet but oh I'm, I bet it has I'm,
4: I'm I'm having a ball I'm you know I get a lot of family time Hanging out with the kids, hanging out with my wife, and, uh, you know, fortunately she still loves me, so we're doing good.
5: <laughs> you are fortunate. Uh, there are a lot of things I'd love to talk to you about. You should come back and see us soon. Tim Ryan, thank you for being here. The former congressman from Ohio, co-chair now of Natural Allies for a Clean Energy Future. I'll be curious to hear what the panel thinks about any of this. Jeannie Shanzano is with us, Democratic analyst with Kristen Davison, a Republican strategist with Axiom Strategies. Uh, Jeannie, what's your thought here when you hear Tim Ryan remembering him in the throes of that campaign battle with J.D. Vance uh, showing up at Sierra Week to push natural gas here? Uh, The life after Washington begins.
7: Yeah. And he sounds pretty good, right? Um, One of the most (laughs) important voices in the Democratic Party, I think, um, outside of Washington. And this is an important conversation to have. I I think the real question here is going to be, can these two Democrats, uh, you know, Mary Landrieu, uh, Mm -hmm. Tim Ryan, can they speak to people like, for example, Joe Manchin? for whom this issue has become a juggernaut. And can they make the case, as he said, that this is a pragmatic step in the right direction? And of course, your conversation coming just on the heels of these quite astonishing reports about Nord Stream 2 and who may have been the culprit over there. So there is a lot at stake. He mentioned it. You asked him the big question, which is why should we be doing this if the rest of the world isn't? Mm -hmm. And he had a pretty good answer and I thought it's important. He started by saying it's a good question Ask and people have a right to ask it.
5: How do you answer that question, Kristen, when so many Republicans push back to say, hey, we're a drop in the bucket when China is, to Tim Ryan's point, opening a coal plant almost every day?
3: Yeah, that's right. And actually, listening to uh, the former congressman made me wonder if, uh, you know, if he if were still in office today, would he side with someone like Joe Manchin who said that, you know, mm-hmm. President Biden um, was, I think, offensive and disgusting when he talked about shutting down coal plants in, in the United States. And so, looking at the politics of this, the the rift is really not Republican versus Democrat. The Democrat Party is is kind of battling within itself on it. I think, from a Republican standpoint, we should not be the sole, you know, operator in terms of worrying about about the climate. When we do have folks like China and and others um, producing large amounts of emissions and opening up coal plants every single day. We do need to have an all of the above clean energy approach, and that includes um, coal and and natural gas. And there's not just the climate aspect of it. It's also the the ESG movement, which is going to aim to shut down coal plants in places like Kentucky and West Virginia based on you know, environmental policies. And that, that is a huge blow to American workers and the American energy supply. And it's something that, especially going into, you know, if, if, Pre- if President Joe Biden runs for re-election, re- it is going to be a huge issue that he's going to have to deal with, especially if he faces a Democrat primary, yes. is who does he side with? Because so, he, he can't afford to side with the base of the Democrat Party on, on these issues because he will lose people in Ohio and Pennsylvania Kentucky and West Virginia, who will lose that part of his his party going into a general election? So I think it is something very interesting to watch to see how you know Republicans are are pretty we're pretty aligned on this as a party that that we need to foster American energy and approach yeah. I mean, really an all of the above type of approach. Democrats are really having a, a family battle on this to see. Um, how extreme they are comfortable going and and what we sacrifice alone Mm. as United States in in the name of the environment.
5: So Jeannie, how does Joe Biden need to crystallize the message on energy policy before he's talking about this in a presidential cycle?
7: Yeah, and and I absolutely agree. This is a battle within the Democratic family and and it is one he's going to have to confront. I I think the argument Joe Biden needs to make is we don't want to find ourselves in a position like Europe did, you know, moving to nuclear so fast that they became, you know, dependent on Russia and oil and then when that was cut off dependent on US and other forms of oil and in this crisis that they're facing with the costs and in order to do that we have to think carefully about a plan and it has to be led from the top from the president and from Congress about how we are going to move to things like natural energy and Mm -hmm. increase jobs. Help the climate and make sure we're addressing issues like national security. So they can make this case, but they're going to have to make a case that it is a step by step process and it's not going to be an abrupt transition that leaves yeah. key aspects of the country aside, like Ohio
1: and other places.
5: Jeannie Shansano and Kristen Davison, great conversation. Thank you both for being with us.
1: You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight athletes, actors, artists.
0: Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.
2: You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 5 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Big budget
5: drops tomorrow. We've been talking about it all week, and it's been slowly leaking out. That's how this goes, right? Tomorrow's the big event, and by then, we'll probably have a pretty good idea of what's in it. Yesterday, we talked about proposed tax hikes to pay for Medicare. Today, it's deficit reduction. The New York Times with the headline here. Biden set to detail $3 trillion in measures to reduce deficits. And, you know, that's been a big deal for him recently. You
2: know, you can hear from Republicans, my God, that big spending Democrat Biden, man, he's taking us in debt. Well, guess what? I reduced the federal deficit this year by $1 trillion, $400 billion. Back in November. $1 $400 billion. The most in all of American history. No one's ever reduced the debt that much. We cut the federal debt in half.
5: Yeah, that was back in November. Did you notice he tends to raise his voice when he gets to the mighty issue of deficit reduction? We're going to talk to Maya McGuinness about this. I'm joined in studio right now by Kaylee Lyons, who is kind enough to be with us on Bloomberg Sound On. Now with us in our Washington bureau. Uh, and, and you've got your decoder ring on all budget speak already, so you're good <laughs> to go for this conversation. When you start hearing tax hikes, Kaylee, and deficit reduction here... You start thinking about a new Republican majority in the House and how in the world that's going to see
8: the end of the day, right? Can you get it done? It's one thing to say, hey, this is what I would like to do in order to reduce the deficit. It's another thing for that to actually come to fruition. But really, there's only two potential paths here, right? You either rein in spending or you raise revenue. That is simply how the math works in this equation. And if you don't want it to come to the revenue Mm -hmm. side... Then that's where the spending cuts come in. But when you have so much that's untouchable, if defense is becoming untouchable, you can't touch Social Security or Medicare. Mm -hmm. What's left?
5: Getting pretty difficult. I spoke with Bharat Ramamurthy, uh, the White House economic advisor, yesterday, asked him, you know, anywhere will, will there be cuts in this plan? And how does this thing pass? His answer was pretty simple.
0: The budget is going to lay out his plan for how we can continue to invest in America, uh, protect Social Security, uh, lengthen the solvency of Medicare by another 25 years, continue to bring down costs for families. And by the way, do all of that while reducing the deficit by more than two trillion dollars over the next 10 years.
5: Joining us to talk about it in real terms is Maya McGinnis, the president of the Committee for a Responsible Budget. Maya, it's great to have you. We need you now. I know this is like Christmas morning for you tomorrow, right? Maybe I'm overdoing it. It's budget day, though. And as Kaylee and I take a look at what we've learned, at least uh, from here, there will be at least a, a couple trillion, maybe $3 trillion in deficit reduction. But you're making the point at the committee that it would take many trillions more to actually balance the budget. So we have to be clear about what we're talking about here, don't we?
9: Well, that's right. So if, if what they're going to do is have three trillion in savings in this budget, I have to say that would be pretty good. Um, it is nowhere close to balancing the budget. It would actually take 16 trillion dollars in savings to balance the budget, but that's not going to happen. And so I actually think the best place to start is with realistic but aggressive savings. I think what they're talking about three trillion should be a floor. It's not going to get us anywhere close to balance. It's not going to even get us to the point where the debt isn't growing as a share of GDP. It still will be. But it's almost like building muscle memory, where you actually start to get used to what it takes to to bring the deficit down. Like you both were talking about, you have to raise taxes and or you have to cut spending. And in a moment when everybody is promising all the things they won't do, I think it's really important to start the discussion with these budgets that will actually lay out some of those hard choices they would make. This budget's going to make a lot of those hard choices on the tax yeah. side.
8: Well, Maya, you said and or there, that it's an and or on spending and taxes. Does it not have to be both realistically
9: to get the budget balanced? Absolutely. I mean, first off, again, we're not going to get the budget balanced probably in decades. We have set it up in so many ways with so many programs with big growth. It's really out of reach. But that's okay. If we can get it to a point where the debt's not growing faster than the economy, that would be stabilizing for our economic situation. But, yeah, we've got two sides who are making these really irresponsible promises, promising not to raise revenues, promising not to touch Social Security or Medicare benefits or defense. Yes, it has to be both. There is not a credible plan out there that will be really – making fiscal progress that doesn't look at both sides of the budget. And if we don't break out of these two warring camps that take yeah. all the kind of overlapped parts off the table, we're not going to make any progress. And that will be bad for the economy, for the budget, and and for our national security even.
5: The thing is, Maya, some Republicans don't want to take defense off the table. They want to see that cut, too. Mm-hmm. And they want mm-hmm. to specifically see Ukrainian funding cut. This budget is not going to show defense cuts, though, is it?
9: No, what we're hearing is that it's going to have a rather healthy increase in defense spending. So um, this is not a budget that is going to have really any spending cuts that I can tell, uh, with the exception of prescription drugs. And let me just give a shout out to I think what's the most important part of this budget, which is that it does take measures to increase the solvency of Medicare, both mm-hmm. by saving. They're doing some savings on prescription drugs and they're doing some new revenues that are going to go into enhancing Medicare solvency. That is a really important priority. What it doesn't do, Social Security, the bigger uh, program, which has a real problem of hitting insolvency within the budget window. And I don't think they're going to take any measures to save it. If you don't want to cut benefits, you're going to have to raise revenues or cut future benefits uh, or look at the retirement age. But apparently, Mm. uh, it doesn't sound – I'm not aware of any changes that they will make. And that – I don't understand how you justify having a budget that shows Social Security will become insolvent and you're still not willing to help fix the program That means massive across-the-board benefit cuts for everybody on the
7: program.
8: Maya, obviously, this is a conversation we have frequently, right? Budgets uh, come and and go on a very consistent basis. And yet this is a, a unique moment in time, considering it also comes at the time of a raging debate over the lifting of the debt ceiling. It also comes at a major uncertain macroeconomic time and a time when the cost of borrowing is going higher. How much more difficult is it to do this now in this moment where everything feels just chaotic?
9: Exactly. Um, It's so much more difficult. And the main reason it's more difficult is the problem has gotten worse because they've waited so long and they've become so much more polarized and are barely functioning. I'm going to be to be polite. They're barely functioning. It's really ridiculous how they're not getting anything done. But this is perhaps the most important year in recent history for the budget, because there is a real threat about lifting the debt ceiling. We have to get the debt ceiling increased, but we could use it as an opportunity to make some fiscal reforms if they could do it without chaos. We have a debt that is out of control. We've just heard we're going to be paying over $10 trillion on interest payments over the next decade. Mm. That is a catastrophic waste of money. And we have inflation that's still in bad shape. And the fiscal policies where the president for the past two years made the debt situation worse, despite his claims about bringing the deficit down, which isn't true. That deficit came down on its own because of the changes in COVID policy. The legislation and executive stuff he passed increased borrowing by $5 trillion. That makes inflation worse. So we need this budget to help get us out of the debt ceiling challenge, deal with the debt problem, and fight inflation.
5: Maya, what do you do uh, on budget day? Do you have any any special ritual? <laughs> I'm guessing this is it has got to be something <laughs> at she the she committee. Pajamas inside page. out, something
9: yeah. like that. Yeah. No, there's presents all over the house for right. the family. It's <laughs> very exciting. <laughs> Get Thank you for humoring outfit. us. Yeah. No, uh, well, you, it's an exciting day for us at the well, Committee for is. Responsible Federal Budget. But, listen, what we really do is we spend all our time trying to make this stuff accessible and easy to understand because the numbers are – trillions mean nothing to most of us. Budget baselines are not a normal language. And one of the problems we have is that people actually don't understand any of these issues and why it matters so much to family finances and our economic security and, again, our national security – so we do our best to decipher this in a way that hopefully people can understand, and will reward their politicians for doing the right things. Three trillion in savings—it's good. It's not enough, mm-hmm. but they should get you know one thumbs up for that, and then be pushed to do a lot more. And then hopefully the House and Senate Budget Committees will follow with their own budgets, and then they can get to the real work of trying to reconcile the differences. Well,
5: boy, we got a lot of months ahead, don't we? Here, Maya, thank you as always. Your insights are important to us, and we'll be looking for your reaction once we get the the real. Official, official budget drop tomorrow. Miami Guinness is president of the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, hour two here of Bloomberg Sound On, joined in studio by Kaylee Lyons, who's with us now in Washington, D.C., and I like to think will be a fairly regular presence in this conversation here. Oh, I would love that, uh, Joe. When we think about the months ahead, we got to figure out the debt limit, uh, which, you know, you just went there. Months before, there's actually a budget that is in place.
8: Mm-hmm.
5: So the question then becomes, how does this timeline come together here because Kevin McCarthy says they won't raise the debt limit without a budget deal.
8: Right, it's incredibly difficult this navigation and frankly it's probably going to come down to the wire, right? Isn't this the story of how it goes? You've it's going it, to be a ticking clock and we're all going to be waiting with bated breath.
5: The great motivator as we now know we're looking at what somewhere between July and August and we want to add Emily Wilkins to the conversation. Of course, Emily is Is work in the halls of Congress, speaking directly with the leadership on a daily basis about the issues that we talk about, and that's why we want to connect with Emily as well. She was with Kevin McCarthy last evening. He was dealing with a lot of matters beyond the budget, uh, including the whole January 6th thing on on Fox, which we're going to get to. But listen to Emily Wilkins with – a really important question here for the Speaker of the House.
9: Mr. Speaker, on
10: the debt limit, have you set up a meeting with Biden yet? And do you know when the Republican budget plan is expected
9: to come out?
5: Uh, Biden hasn't uh, said for a second uh, meeting yet. I know he said at the retreat that he had one, but I have not heard from him. Hasn't heard from him. Emily Wilkins, what's going on? This, doesn't this meeting need to happen now?
10: It definitely needs to happen, Joe and Kaylee. But uh, I mean, right now, what we're the stage that we're at is that Republicans are waiting for Biden to drop his budget. That'll come out tomorrow. Expect to see a bunch of Republicans complaining about various things with it, saying it doesn't go far enough. But then House Republicans are supposed to come out with their own budget. Yeah, and we actually had uh, Budget Chair Jody Arrington I, on Sound On the other week saying mm-hmm. mid-April. Uh, He's now telling some other news organizations, maybe the second week of May. And so I think what we're looking for at this point is really what is Biden going to offer up on the table? What are Republicans in the House going to offer up on the table? And what kind of middle ground is there any middle ground really between the two of them?
8: So we talked about the White House and the House. Where's the Senate in this realistically, Emily? I mean, are we really only going to be negotiating between the White House and one chamber of Congress?
10: The Senate certainly has been having conversations about this. I think the main reason that you kind of see Biden and McCarthy emerging as some of the key figures at this point is because the bill is going to have to pass the House of Representatives, which is Mm -hmm. controlled by Republicans. But Mm -hmm. in the Senate, it's controlled by Democrats. And so, you know, for the House Democrats, for the Senate Democrats, they're a little bit more relaxed, kind of taking a step back and letting Biden be the main point person at this point. But certainly, as we get closer to June, I think you will absolutely see the Senate begin to play a bigger role, even potentially House Democrats playing a bigger role, Mm -hmm. if it does seem like Biden is willing to do some negotiating with Republicans over cuts.
5: Well, it's interesting uh, because even Mitch McConnell himself said, you know, we that that's between Kevin <laughs> right. and Joe Biden. But the Senate <laughs> will have something to say about a cut in defense spending or some of the other issues that will likely offend both Democratic and Republican members. Right, Emily?
10: Oh, absolutely. I mean, defense spending cuts are going to be one of the really hot points here because you do see a number of Republicans saying, hey, we're cool cutting that. And then you see an entirely different group of Republicans going, absolutely not. And this is the question. What do you cut? I mean, Republicans, when you ask them, they'll be like, well, you know, it can't be Medicare and it can't be Mm -hmm. Social Social Security. But in terms of what they're actually going to eliminate, that's very much up in the air right now. I know that uh, different members of House leadership, they're meeting with their members. They're trying to kind of get a feel for where everyone is at, for what may or may not be doable. Right now, though, it's a lot of closed door negotiations. I mean, there are things we've, Mm -hmm. we've heard, such as budget caps. We're taking the budget back to fiscal year 2022 levels. But at this point, it's really too soon to begin saying that that these are the programs that are in danger of being eliminated.
5: Does that meeting that you asked Kevin McCarthy about actually happen uh, before their budget drops or at all for that matter? I mean, if you're talking about mid-April, if that's what you're hearing from Representative Arrington, what does that mean for these two to get together? Or is that really just show business, Emily?
10: that that is a really great question to be honest i wouldn't be surprised if biden and mccarthy did not sit down again until republicans have put out their plan yeah. because the drumbeat from democrats right now and, and you heard this during the republican re- uh, democratic retreat rather in baltimore is that republicans need to show their cards they need to put out their plan and that's what need to, needs to happen before they go any further in these discussions over the debt limit
8: Emily, we've talked about the spending side. We were just having a conversation with Maya McGuinness about how it really needs to come on the revenue side as well. Is there any world in which President Biden gets at least some of
10: his way and some taxes move higher, or is
8: that just a non starter?
10: It's going to be so hard, Kaylee, because Republicans now have control of the House, even though there's a little more leeway in the Senate to make something work. That's more taxes. is just it's not where Republicans want to be right now.
5: We're back with more and Emily Wilkins, the debate over security footage from January 6th. Should that have gone to Fox?
1: You know, success when you see it or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
0: You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through.
2: You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg
5: Radio. There is trouble in the family. As Republican leaders in the House and Senate play out in public view, a growing divide here over what the heck happened on Fox News the other night. This was, what, two nights ago, Tucker? Remember, we've talked about this. Tucker Carlson was given access by Kevin McCarthy uh, to dozens of hours of security tape from various video cameras, I guess all of them, uh, from January 6th. And they cranked out a version of the story, that upset a lot of people, knowing that Tucker Carlson has framed January 6th as a peaceful protest, unsolicited. The Republican Senate leader, the minority leader, Mitch McConnell, yesterday at his news conference, he's there in the corridors of the Senate, reporters surrounding him, felt he needed to make a
2: point. It was a mistake, in my view, for Fox News to depict this in a way that's completely at variance with what our chief law enforcement official here at the Capitol thinks.
5: Holding up for reporters a memo from the U.S. Capitol Police Chief, calling Tucker Carlson's decision to selectively air portions of the video offensive and misleading. Last evening, Kevin McCarthy, also surrounded by reporters, pushed on this issue. Do you regret giving him the tape? No, um, I, I said at the very beginning, transparency. And so what I wanted to produce for everybody is exactly what I said, that people could actually look at it and see what's gone on that day. So. We're going to talk to Emily Wilkins, who was standing right there with Kevin McCarthy when he said that. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, joined by Kaylee Lines. Says he didn't watch it, by the way. Did you watch it?
8: <laughs> I've, I've seen clips of it. It's yeah. hard not to see it, given how prevalent it is in this news cycle. You know what was so telling to me, though, Joe, is McConnell said it was wrong of Fox to depict it the way they did. Yeah. He did not go as far to say that McCarthy made a mistake.
5: No, you're right. No, he made this about Fox. He's very careful about that, right? But of course, everyone's reading it a little bit differently here. Uh, Emily, uh, you were there with Kevin McCarthy. He seemed to be on his heels a little bit, but he's adamant that he did nothing wrong here, huh?
10: Yeah, McCarthy's kind of drumbeat on this. has been transparency, transparency, and he and other House leaders have said that these tapes are going to be released more widely, that, you know, we will get access to them. And they want to say that they wanted that this is just an exclusive, that they just gave it to Tucker Carlson first. McCarthy also said last night that, you know, he did condemn the January 6th rioters, but he really kind of stayed away from commenting specifically on anything In Tucker Carlson's show or in the segments, McCarthy just said that his role was to try to get the tapes out there and get some of that information out there. That's really the line that, that he's drawing in the sand right now.
5: And the end product be damned. He says he did, by the way, consult with Capitol Police, despite what you heard there Uh, from Mitch McConnell. Listen. I worked with the Capitol Police. I asked them for any clips on the way that they had concern with the security level. Only one of the clips did, and we were able to change that. An interesting thing the Capitol Police told us when we went through this is that January 6th never asked them about that, the security. So, Kaylee, he's talking about the January 6th committee. That, That would not be, that would not jive with what we've heard from members. Zoe Lofgren was on this very program Uh, When this first uh, came to the fore, that that he was going to make this accessible to Tucker Carlson, Mm. she made it clear that they worked hand-in-hand with Capitol Police to decide what was appropriate to show in the hearing and what was not for the sake of security. So they didn't have to relocate all the cameras, which, by the way, they may now have to do.
8: Yeah, the conflicting narratives here are definitely really interesting, especially when on one side of the aisle there has been an attempt to cast the January 6th committee as a partisan effort, that it's a red-blue issue. And I have to wonder as well, and Emily, this is a great question for you. How much of a headache is this for Republicans that all of the work of the January 6th committee and really just January 6th as a day is continually getting relitigated in the court of public opinion due to things like Tucker Carlson airing clips on Fox News?
10: I mean, I definitely think this is not doing Republicans any favors. And you could see how that played out in the last midterms. Democrats were very successful at painting Republicans as extremists, as going too far. And you saw a number of voters respond to that. I mean, yes, Republicans won the House, but it was supposed to be a a red wave, a huge victory. And instead, they've got this very tiny margin that they're now working with as a result of things. And you talk with a lot of members about this, you know, and they try to be very careful in, in what they say and how they categorize things i mean i I spoke with congresswoman marjorie taylor green last night certainly someone who's not afraid to be controversial and you know (laughs) even in her criticism she tried to you know be kind of draw that distinction Hmm. between those who came into the capitol were walking around and taking photos Obviously, they shouldn't have been doing that, but versus those who came um, and vandalized parts of the Capitol actually caused destruction and damage to the building. Um, and so it's it's been very interesting to see how Republicans talk about this. For the most part, though, and I think this, you can kind of see this in some of the investigations, they're trying to really move away from this. Uh, for all the investigations we're getting about the border and Hunter Biden and Hunter Biden's laptop, we're not really hearing anything from Republicans on investigating the 2020. election. And I think that is a really clear sign that they want this incident behind them, uh, that they don't think this is something that's good for their political future.
5: That's a great point, Emily. Uh, We should note that the U.S. uh, Capitol Police chief, who was installed after January 6th, uh, said the opinion program, referring to Tucker Carlson here, never reached out to the department to provide accurate context. You've also got Kevin McCarthy there saying the January 6th committee never reached out to Capitol Police, which which we know is not true. So how do these all jive in the end?
10: I think to a certain extent, this is Republicans trying to switch the focus off of them and on to Democrats um, to try to continue to push back against the January 6th committee. I mean, yes, it was bipartisan, but obviously the two Republicans on it were very much aligned with the Democrats and, and not their Republican colleagues. And so I think to a certain extent this is Republicans trying to kind of switch the narrative a little bit although Mm. I I don't think from from all the news stories that we've gotten and from the fact that it seems like this footage will continue to come out and continue to be to be used I mean this is something Republicans are are going to have to be grappling with for a while it seems. Mm.
5: Kaylee this moment stuck out to me in the conversation that Emily and other reporters were having with Kevin McCarthy it's it's pretty short. Pretty sweet.
6: Do you have any concerns about anything that aired?
5: Look, I I didn't see what was aired. Didn't see what was aired. (laughs) So, Emily, what are we talking about?
10: I mean, I think this is kind of walking that line again. That trying, just sort of, you know, not getting in not getting to the point where Kevin McCarthy is criticizing Tucker Carlson. I mean, McCarthy knows he can't.
5: But of course he knows knows what they did with it, right? He knows what what aired.
10: Mm. Yeah. He, he, absolutely. And, I, you know, I'm sure that Kevin McCarthy has been seeing the same flood of coverage that you and, and I have this past week. Yeah. I mean, it, it's you know, this is what members do sometimes. They'll say they haven't seen yeah. something so they can avoid commenting on it. And, you know, it's it's, again, just sort of a way for McCarthy to try and walk this fine line where he's trying to not. You know, he's trying to make sure that he's appeasing all all sections of the House Republicans, including the ones who are very loyal to Tucker Carlson, as well as those who just kind of wish that this whole thing could go away.
8: Well, to that point, those loyal to Tucker Carlson, how much of this is complicated by the fact from a messaging standpoint that this was maybe shared for transparency, but it wasn't immediately shared with all the major networks. It was went to a cable network that is largely seen as having a partisan tilt with certain uh, areas of the Republican base.
10: I don't think anyone who heard that these tapes were going to Tucker Carlson thought that this was going to be presented in in a fair and unbiased manner. Um, And I think that is partly what raised so many eyebrows about McCarthy's decision to release it there first um, and to do it the way that that he has with all these questions now about the Capitol Police, the reviewing of footage, exactly what is and what hasn't been out there at this point. I think that's where a lot of the the anger and frustration have come from. I I think if had this footage been leaked to, say, a a different Fox News program or a different Mm -hmm. network, I, I don't think we'd be seeing some of the concerns we are right now.
5: Well, it comes against the backdrop of this amazing document dump uh, from the Dominion case against Fox. I don't know if you guys have seen all of this, but Tucker Carlson apparently hates Donald Trump passionately. He said so. uh, And I wonder uh, what's going to come of this. Emily Wilkins, thank you so much, Emily. Don't be a stranger. I know you won't. Part of the family here at Bloomberg Sound on. Uh, I love it when she goes up there, scours the halls, brings back the goods for us here. That's directly from the source, Kaylee. Most people don't hear from Kevin McCarthy in that style. Uh, and I wonder the the whole Dominion case is a whole other factor here. But Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy they they might need to go on a on a road trip or something to
8: yeah have a little sit down this. conversation, yeah. a little mediation, not, not a lot of love, right perhaps. Now. I mean, between those two and the testimony from Rupert Murdoch, there is no shortage <laughs> of Fox oriented conversations yeah. to have.
5: All right, leave us alone on Twitter. We're trying to do the news here. Let's get Kaylee. By the <laughs> way, come by more often. Maybe I'll see you here tomorrow. Kaylee Lines... With us here on Sound On um.
0: You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th